right, and welcome back to another episode of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my always great and interesting co-host, Jonah Tolls. Jonah, how's everything going with you today, man? Oh, it's going great, man. You know, another day of Senior Bowl acceptances, and it just gets me more excited to go to Mobile. I haven't been back to Mobile since 2018. I'm just ready to go back. Wasn't wasn't unable to go last year. So I'm just really excited to go see some of these top guys perform in person. Definitely. And, of course, it is Twitter Thursday. I can't believe I forgot to open the show with that. So we'll save some of the questions for the second segment of the show. But first, there were some huge Senior Bowl declarations uh, yesterday, I should say, uh, the cornerback class. You had a cornerback article that did come out where you were comparing some of the top cornerbacks to some NFL players, and it was very interesting. And, you know, whenever you talk about cornerbacks, everybody should listen just because that is your area of expertise. That is the position that you love to evaluate the most. So with that being said, Christian Fulton, the cornerback from LSU, and also Damon Arnett, the cornerback from Ohio State. Those were the two latest players that declared for the NFL draft. And you didn't go in depth about either one of those guys in your article, but of course I would be remiss if I didn't open up the floor to you to just talk about some of the comparisons that you did make. And then we'll get into Fulton and Arnett a little bit later after you talk about your article. So just talk about some of the comparisons that you made and what went behind some of that. Yeah. So basically what this whole article was about was comparing, you know, some of the top 2020 corners to some NFL players. And, you know, you know, the whole deal with, prospect comparisons it can be a very valuable tool if you use it right now it can be it's often misleading because a lot of people will you know compare you know college prospects to players that can never live up to right so like it can be very misleading if you know done you know improperly but i think it it can end up being one of the best you know tools in any draft evaluation you do just because it gives you a good visual of what to do so if, if you put a lot of time and effort into it it can be a very valuable tool for your scouting report. And with that being said, I came up with a couple of, I think I came up with six. Um, Jeffrey Okuda, I basically call, I, I call, I think he's Marshawn Lattimore, you know, and I haven't seen a guy with his athletic gifts with that much nuance and man coverage since scouting Lattimore back a couple of years ago. And they had the same size, the same sort of ball skill, alpha mentality. I'm a big fan of Okuda. I, I don't really see a big glaring weakness to his game. Uh, I know some people will, you know, knock at the ball production. He's only had one year of real true experience as a starter. But that's the most case with Ohio State guys anyway. That's the case with Marshall Lattimore coming out as a redshirt sophomore. So, to me, I, I, I really, if you have any questions about Jeffrey Okuda, I, I would like to know what they are because, to me, I think he, ha- he can play the zone. He has really good eyes in that department. I think he has good feet, good twitch. This guy plays the ball really well. We saw it this year. Um, a lot more interception level plays on the ball. Uh, I'm just a big fan of Okuda. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to get your thoughts because I know you and I are probably the two highest on Akuda of all the TBN staff. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Akuda as far as his, you know, his length, of course. I think that's one of the greatest assets of, that are a part of his game and also the patience and his footwork. I think those are probably the three biggest things uh, that are associated with his game. But I like the upside as well, just because you talk about a guy that really was. This was his first year as a starter, and, you know, he got a little bit of a taste of it last year down the backstretch of the year, specifically in the Rose Bowl against Washington. And I think that was one of the better games of his career. But the biggest question coming into the year was the lack of ball production, but it was just because of a lack of reps. And I say that because he hasn't been a starter prior to this year, just because Ohio State is so loaded 
at the position, but I knew that the ball production was eventually going to come just because that's usually what comes with these guys. And if you ever have any questions about, you know, maybe them not having enough pass defense or pass breakups or even interceptions, it's going to come just because it comes with game experience and it also comes with an extended amount of reps. And that's what you see with Jeffrey Okuda. But I haven't seen a cornerback with his type of footwork and his type of feet and patience in a very long time. And I love the Marshawn Lattimore comparison just because, you talk about guys that have advanced type of technique, and they already have the technique of a five-year to ten-year NFL veteran, I should say, just because they're they just they're always poised in everything that they do, and that's something that you see in young cornerbacks a lot, and that they overreact at the line of scrimmage, and you see these receivers, they're very savvy with their route running abilities, and you know they add in a lot of exaggerated movements as far as their head, their shoulders, and their waist. But those guys just don't overreact to those movements, and they don't overreact to those movements, I should say, and they just let the game come to them. And what I mean by that is they let the receiver reveal their routes on their own before they react, as opposed to lunging and being off balance. So that's something that I notice a lot about Akuda, and that he just remains patient in his technique. Yeah, and that, that's just being reactionary instead of being a guesser. And I think one of the big things why I wasn't a big fan of Tease Tabor coming out of Florida I ended up having a third, fourth round grade on him compared to the consensus first, second round grades on him because he was a guesser. And he was a guy that would get beat a lot on double moves because he would not trust his instincts and trust his reactionary quickness to really break on routes. Instead, he tried to, he tried to get that extra advantage because he wasn't as athletic. Akuda knows he's athletic. Akuda knows he can get on those routes in time. So I'm a big fan of him. And if you want to know why he's the top corner in this draft class, the undisputed top corner, it's because there is not another cornerback in this class who has his athletic gifts and the proportional nuance in man coverage. And it's just that simple. You talk about, you know, technique of a five, 10 year veteran. Akuda is ready for NFL snaps tomorrow. This guy can play for a team, you know, a team like the Dolphins, a team like you know, the Broncos that could use him. This guy's going to be a starter. He's going to be a high productive player in the, in the league for a long time. Um, but another guy, I want, another comparison I want to throw at you that I wrote in this article was Trayvon Diggs and Aqib Tlaib. And, you know, Aqib Tlaib, I don't know if you know his background at Kansas, coming into the 2008 NFL draft, but he was a two-way player at Kansas. He played a little bit of – almost like Jordan Whitehead was used at Pittsburgh a couple years ago. Um, So Aqib Tlaib would play some offense and defense. He was an excellent playmaker on the ball. Obviously, that became his calling card uh, in the NFL. Um, 6'2", 200 pounds, just like Diggs. And obviously, you know, Diggs was recruited to go play Alabama wide receiver and follow in the footsteps of Stephon Diggs, who played at Maryland. Um, so, I mean, you've got two guys, long, big, physical, you know, but wide receiver backgrounds, and it shows up at the catch point. Trayvon Diggs, to me, is has the best ball skills of any cornerback in this draft class. And that's a large part because of his wide receiver background, just as a keep to leave wide receiver background, I think propelled him to an all-pro career. Definitely, and I think that's something – very interesting. Now, you didn't really go in depth about this, but as far as former receivers switching over to cornerback, and I know Justin Lane was a guy you were a very big fan of last year. He's a great example of that, being a former receiver and then going over and switching to cornerback just because it just seems like a position that maybe suits them a bit more, whether that's from you know playing style or just trying to get on the field a bit quicker uh, from a lack of depth or you know just trying to get on the field and see some more reps. Uh, just because they're at the bottom of the depth chart at receiver, and then they switch over to the other position at cornerback. But also Trayvon Diggs is another example of that, a guy that played receiver in high school, and he did for his brief a brief stint during his freshman year at Alabama. Then he made the switch over, 
And there was one more person that did that. Paulson Adebo is another guy that was a That's similar right. situation as well. That's he started right. out at receiver. His name slipped my mind. Of uh, 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 one of those guys that was a wide receiver convert and then switching over to cornerback. So, just what's your overall thoughts on that? And is that something that you really pay a lot of attention to? Just because I think ball skills is one of the better assets of Trayvon Diggs's game, and I think his former days as a receiver really helped that. And We've talked about this a lot as far as interceptions being an added incentive and not really a requirement at cornerback for me. But I know you really value interceptions a lot. But for me, if you're just shutting down the guy in front of you, I'm completely fine with that. So I really see these pass breakups and interceptions as an added incentive and not necessarily a requirement with cornerback. So just what's your overall thoughts about some of these guys, you know, converting from wide receiver to cornerback? And do you think that's a huge asset? Oh, I think it's absolutely a huge asset. You talked about ball skills are one of the cornerstone traits of any cornerback coming into the NFL draft or even playing the cornerback position in general. I mean, and plus, you want to talk about how why scouts love it so much, is and even coaches too, because they're just so new to the position, they haven't had the, the reps or the time to really develop bad habits. That's a big thing with a lot of these corners that come into the NFL. They don't know how to find the ball over their shoulder. Um, they take a lot of false steps in their pedal, whether it's breaking on the ball or whatnot. They, they're a guesser instead of a reactionary player, like Tease Taper, for example. These are guys that, you know, develop bad habits through the years of playing cornerback. Whereas you're playing wide receiver, you're playing ball. And then the coaches can really mold you as like a lump of clay. and They can you know, teach you the right way to play. And that's why a lot of these cor- the wide receivers turn corners, I think, have a lot of upside because they're a lot of ascending players, guys who are still learning the position. And guys, but it, it takes a, like a guy like a Trayvon Diggs, who has proven that he can be productive at cornerback. Now, I'm not gonna say every wide receiver turning the corners needs to be good. That's just not the case. But you know, you talk about a guy like Trayvon Diggs, I think he's more ready for NFL snaps than a guy like Justin Lane was coming out of Michigan State. I think Justin Lane was a little more raw coming out of Michigan State, whereas Diggs, I think, has a little more meat on his bone. He can play more physical in the line of scrimmage. This is a guy that can play an off man as well, really good. Uh, I, I think he has better eye discipline as well. So you got to look at all these different kind of traits. But in terms of wide receiver turn cornerback, it's nothing but a good thing in my eyes because not only does uh, it, it keeps you from developing bad habits, but also shows that you're an ascending player and a guy you're still learning your position. And if you show good tape, it means your potential is a lot higher, I think, than a lot of these other cornerbacks that you know have developed those bad habits. Definitely, and it's a really interesting discussion just because I think there's a bit of a trend that's starting to begin. And it started way before Justin Lane or anybody of that nature as far as converting from wide receiver to corner. But I think definitely we're starting to see coaches experiment with some of these wide receivers moving over to corner just because defensive backs are a high priority. And everybody likes to play quarterback, running back, receiver, just because everybody wants to touch the ball or be a part of touching the ball, but guarding people. And that's something that a lot of people really aren't raised or born to do. As far as high school, a lot of people just like to stick athletes at those positions, if that does make sense, as opposed to offensive positions where in high school where they're touching the ball really almost every play. So if you have a son out there that's not getting any playing time at receiver and he has the length to move over to corner, I highly advise doing that just because cornerbacks are at a premium or defensive backs in general are at a premium. And if they have that length and they have those ball skills, it, there's a high chance that he's going to get a scholarship and he's eventually going to get paid to be a professional somewhere. So if you're out there listening and you have a parent or you have a son and you're a parent that has that's not really getting a lot of playing time at receiver or any other position on offense, 
I highly advise moving them over and converting them to defensive back just because it is, it is a position that really is a dying breed in a sense. And there's coaches everywhere that are dying to get that length at cornerback or safety. So if you are listening, just think about that thought. And if it does end up working out for you, just remember where you heard it first. The Locked On College Football Podcast <laughs> advised you to do that. <laughs> but before we move on, uh, discussing Christian Fulton and also Damon Arnett's declaration to or accept their invitation to the Senior Bowl, I should say, I want to remind our listeners about Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. You should start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible Originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on college football. Listening on the go, if you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. Again, that's visit audible.com slash locked on college football. And if you're listening on the go, or if you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. So let's continue on with our cornerback discussion. And I know this position really is your baby. This is your pet cat. So I'm sure you're going to eat up this discussion. So we're talking about Christian Fulton and Damon Arnett. And we got into Fulton a little bit, a pre, or I should say a couple shows ago, uh, where we talked about him. And I thought that he just wasn't standing out as much as you would like. But you counter you counter responded to that and said it's really a good thing just because whenever you're not hearing a lot from a cornerback, it could be a good thing. And just because of the emergence of Derek Stingley Jr. That's a big reason uh, why we haven't heard a whole bunch from Christian Fulton this year. But I want to reverse course a little bit. I want to talk about Damon Arnett. So we already talked about the other Ohio State corner opposite of him. We talked about Jeffrey Okuda. We've talked about Sean Wade in depth on some previous shows as well. But we haven't talked any about Damon Arnett. And he, he definitely was another highly touted prospect. Now, he wasn't rated as highly as Akuda and Wade coming out uh, three years ago uh, in 2016, I believe it was. Uh, but he still has a lot of the traits that you love to see in these Ohio State cornerbacks. And you talk about a tough, physical, and very, very athletic cornerback. I mean, he's playing through a broken right wrist right now. So that just goes to show you just the type of grit and the demeanor that he does have. And he he's really fended off Sean Wade uh, from playing outside corner. Wade has really played in the nickel uh, position for the most part. So Damon Arnett has really done his job opposite of Jeffrey Okuda, even though those other two in Okuda and Wade have gotten a lot of the love. It kind of seems that Arnett really has gotten lost in the shuffle, but he's had a really good bounce back year after not really having a good year uh, after thinking about declaring as a junior, but he opted to return to school and it really has paid off for him. So just your overall thoughts on Damon Arnett. Man, I, I'm a big fan of his. And you talked about it with him playing with that cast on his hand. I think he is just a tough son of a gun, man. I, I, I'm a sucker for guys who just have that physical brand of football. It's a big reason why, to me, Jeff Gladney, who we haven't really touched on a lot in this podcast, is my number two overall rated corner. So behind Akuda, I, mean, I, I think just his overall brand of physicality, the way he, uh, the alpha mentality line of scrimmage, it's the same thing with Damon Arnett, man. This guy plays through pain. This guy is not afraid to get his nose dirty and run support. He's a good open field tackler. I'm a big guy for that. And it's another reason why I'm a little lower on C.J. Henderson and a lot of other guys as well from out Florida. But that's another discussion for another day. Damon Arnett, and this is one thing that kind of confuses me. A lot of people think he's not a great athlete. And to me, when you watch him on tape, I think that's one of his best traits of his game. Well, if you go, if he's, I think one of the big, uh, when you watch his like old tape, 2017, 2018, 
he where he got like heavily criticized for you know beat, getting beat on double moves, getting beat deep, all of this good giving up a lot of big plays and whatnot. That's not because of the because of his athletic ability or his lack of um, therefore. But I think when you look at his 2019 tape, what's different about it, why he's become more consistent is because he's starting to trust his technique. And like you said, we, we, we've been talking about all podcasts today, and it's about being more of a reactionary player instead of a guesser. And I think because he was guessing a lot, I think it shadowed how, how good of an athlete he was. Because of, you know he's playing a lot more reactionary, trusting his instincts, trusting his quickness to break on routes this year, you're starting to see his ex- athletic ability accentuated. And I think that's why we're starting to see a much better version of Damon Arnett as a senior. And I cannot wait to see him in Mobile in those one-on-ones. So I think his athleticism will do him a lot of good against those big, um, tall receivers in Mobile, like the Colin Johnsons, Brian Edwards. I think Damon Arnett's in for a big week in Mobile. And I, I would be surprised if he's not one of the first 10 corners drafted here um, in this 2020 NFL draft class. I think he's firmly a day two selection. I'm with you. And I think he's a guy that definitely is going to rise up draft boards just because of what he has displayed this year. And all eyes have been on Akuda for the most part. And he's just quietly went about his business and had a hell of a year in my opinion. And as long as he's healthy at the senior bowl, I think he's probably going to have the cast off by then. So hopefully he's going to be fully healthy. Uh, Then I think he's a guy that's going to be tough and very scrappy in the one-on-ones. And I can't wait to watch these one-on-ones with these wide receivers and these DBs. I think this is probably going to be one of the better years uh, of that type of competition. So, and I think Damon Arnett definitely is one of those guys that could shine in the one-on-one situation. So, Really excited about him, but I want to go ahead and get to our next cornerback and Christian Fulton uh, before we get to our Twitter Thursday questions, of course. So Christian Fulton, a guy we have gone on in depth about, uh, but we haven't really broken down his playing style a whole bunch. But I think the one thing that stands out the most about him is just his physicality. And then once again, he's one of those guys that's really patient uh, at the line of scrimmage. He does play on his heels a little bit more than my liking, and I thought he's improved upon that a little bit more than this year as opposed to last year. But the biggest gripe I do have with him is just finding the ball in flight. That's one thing he's really struggled with. He's a guy that, and I don't know if it's just a technique that he has been taught, but, and uh, I'm kind of, so here's my thing with him. With Christian Fulton, he does struggle with finding the ball in flight, but you can't say he's taught to play the hands of the receiver just because Derek Stingley does the opposite thing with him. And that's why uh, the opposite thing is him. That's what I'm trying to say. Stingley is a guy that's able to get his he's able to get his head around and find the ball in flight and make plays on it. But as opposed to Fulton, he's a guy that really waits for the receiver to really show his hands or flash his hands and then play the ball. And I think that's really that's really kind of been a negative effect against him. And he's really struggled as far as playing the ball out of the air, just because really savvy or smart receivers they flash their hands at the last second or they'll do it early and draw flags against him. Or sometimes when they do it late, it's just too reactionary for him. Uh, he isn't able to make plays on the ball after they have already caught the ball. So that's just my biggest gripe with him. But that may be being a little bit picky, and I'll leave that to you to assess that. But I think he's – he outside of that, I think he's the total package. And I love his physicality once again. I love the way he's able to come up and embrace tackling. I think that's one of his better assets as well. So I'm a fan of him, and he's firmly going to position himself with a strong week in Mobile. I think he definitely is going to be a first-round selection. Oh, yeah. And to me, I think he is – the upgraded version of C.J. Henderson. And I'll tell you why. I think he's just a pure, natural, smooth, and easy mover. And I don't think people understand how athletic Fulton is. Fulton is super fast. This guy has incredible twitch and man coverage in terms of 
you know, keep staying in phase with the receiver and the transitions of their routes. Um, man, I, I just love his foot quickness, change of direction. And you know me, man, there's several pet peeves I have at the cornerback position. And one of those, and we've talked about, again, all podcasts long, it's cornerbacks who are not patient, who, you know, want to, or really jumpy, anxious at the line of scrimmage. That is the complete opposite of Fulton. I think Fulton, to me, is on the short list of cornerbacks in this 2020 NFL draft who has the most control with their movement skills. And I love that about Fulton. Fulton is always under control, patient, knows what he's going to do, really calculated kind of player. And I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on, on his ball skills because I think when you look at him, I don't think attacking the ball is as much of an issue with him. I don't think, to me – he has a problem turning around. And because I think one of the big issues you see with a lot of young cornerbacks, and we, we discussed this before, is being able to look at, locate the ball over your shoulder and without giving up separation to the man and going up and attacking at the catch point. I don't think that's necessarily a problem with Fulton. I think it's more so the eye discipline that I have a problem with. I think that he needs to be able to track the ball better, I think, in terms of the timing of it. But I think it actually, I think the comfortability of him turning his shoulder and looking for it. I don't really see much of a problem with that. I think a lot of cornerbacks you know, are more comfortable, obviously, going up and attacking the ball forward. But I don't really see him playing with – I don't see back-to-the-ball issues as much as I see with Fulton as I do with other cornerbacks in his class. Um, so I will slightly disagree with you there. But I think that in terms of just overall playmaking ability, that is probably – I think that's a fair weakness to assess on him. But in terms of the actual ball, back-to-the-ball technique, I don't see as much of an issue as you do. Um, but I, I think one of the things he does need to work on, I think he needs to do – he needs to add some bulk and muscle to his frame, I think. If he's going to be a press man corner, I think I would like him to see, you know, develop more play strength. I think he's physical, but I think he needs to add some more strength to his frame. That's a big, that's one of my major weaknesses of his, uh, on my scout report of his. And run support, I, I think he's count, you know, I say he's an upgrade version of CJ Henderson. I like his physicality, like it is, but I think in terms of open field tackling, he's just not really that efficient. Um, so I, I think in that case, I, I mean, I, I like other players better than Fulton in terms of that regard. But in terms of a pure cover guy, I mean, other than maybe Jeffrey Okuda, there is another player suited for NFL snaps tomorrow than LSU's Christian Fulton. I, I love him in off-brand coverage and zone. He's a very good uh, – I, I think to me he baits quarterbacks. This is a guy that I think can fit any scheme you want. I would love to see him get a little stronger to play more of the line of scrimmage. I'm with you as far as adding bulk onto his frame just because I think he's – he doesn't have a lot of muscle mass, I would say, throughout his body, but he does have the capacity to add more, if that does make sense. I think he's one guy that could put on 5 to 10 pounds easy within his rookie year. So I think that's only going to help him down the road as well as far as a tackler and then you know, being able to move in space and then competing during those route stems as well. I think that's going to help him even more. So it's going to be an interesting eval. I'm sure we'll go back and forth with him. I'll be paying close attention to him down in Mobile, especially – you know, some of the gripes I have with him finding the ball in flight, we'll be able to see that in those one-on-one situations. So, and I'm sure you'll be you'll be glued to those those defensive backs during those one-on-one situations. I'm sure you'll be taking a lot of notes during that as well. So, I'm super excited about Mobile, man. I know we're we're just over a month away from that. So, I know we're both going to be down there. We're probably going to do a live show down there. I know that's something we haven't really revealed yet, but. Uh, I'm going ahead and letting the cat out the bag that we're probably going to be doing a live show down there uh, once we see some of the practices down there, you know, the way in and all that stuff. So really excited about Mobile. I'm sure you guys can hear it in my voice, but we are a month away from that. But before we move on and we finally get to you guys' Twitter questions just because it is Twitter Thursday, here is a brief word from our sponsors. 
All right, and we are back. And, of course, it is another glorious Twitter Thursday, one of our favorite days of the week, just because we like interacting with our crowd and our fans and our loyal listeners so much. And this is one of my favorite days of the week, of course, just because we get to interact with everybody. We get to see everybody's different thoughts. And, of course, we get to answer your Twitter questions as well. So, uh, you know, we like to bounce these questions back and forth. This is something we do every single week. And, of course, I'm going to throw you for a loop here just because I haven't told you any of the questions that we are going to answer. We haven't talked about any of these questions pre-show just because I like to get instant reactions and hot takes. So I'm going to start off with the first question, and it comes from Zachary Gaither, and it's at ZGaither51. And he asks, where's the best fit for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? And I'll let you start off with that one. Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, there's so many teams that need running backs, I feel like. Um, I mean, I, I think the Miami Dolphins make a lot of sense. Yeah. They have so many draft picks on day two that I think if they want to address those other needs, like obviously they're probably going to go quarterback in the early part of the first round. They have to go left tackle at some point. And then cornerbacks, the need they need to address. Safety, of course, make it best Patrick out. So there's a lot of needs that they need to address. Like obviously, like the three biggest t- positions quarterback, pass protector, and pass rusher, they need to fill. So running back might slide a little bit to day two for them. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire, to me, is firmly a day two uh, value on my board. And I, I think, like, we were talking about him before, I think he's like a Doug Martin clone with his ability to, you know, he's a master of all trades. You know, he's, he's a, you know, jack of all trades, master of none kind of player. He can protect, he, he can be a good pass protector, catch the ball. He caught 50 passes this year for LSU, something like that. This is a guy that had crazy good production this year and really put himself on the map. Uh, I love his shifty elusiveness. Uh, this is a guy that really brings everything to the table. He might not be the most athletic guy. He'll probably run four six to the combine. I really don't care. I think running back's athleticism uh, at the combine tested athleticism. Really, I, I care less about at the running back position. Dalvin Cook had one of the worst combines in recent history, and this guy's right. arguably <laughs> the most explosive running back in football. I mean, I, it's it just doesn't really tra- track speed and track athleticism. I think people really overvalue that in the draft community as opposed to the actual NFL. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to go top 100, and the Dolphins address other positions early in that first round. I expect the Dolphins to look at him as a day-two option. I like that fit a lot, and we know the Dolphins are going to be in the market for a running back just because Kenyon Drake uh, is definitely is a guy that they did trade off to the Arizona Cardinals earlier. Uh, during the season, Kalen Balaz just hasn't lived up to the hype, and they just don't really have a lead back back there. So I like the fit of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire there, especially with them having 14 draft picks, I believe. So we could see them make a very early run at him, whether that's you know early second round or you know mid to late second round, even the early third round. Maybe he could last to that area. I don't see that likely, but we definitely could see a run on running backs early in the second round. I think that's a fair assessment of this running back class right now. But I got another fit for you that's really interesting, and I'm going to go with the Houston Texans just because I know Carlos Hyde has really been a revelation for that running game. He's really had a really good year there, but uh, it, I don't think he's a long-term solution there. We know how really disposable the position is, but I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could come in and definitely be an upgrade for them in a sense there just because he's a guy you're going to have on a cheap rookie deal. He's going to be there for four years guaranteed, and I think he's a guy you can really compare or pair with Deshaun Watson, I should say, uh, for the foreseeable future. So I like his fit there in Houston. And they seem to have just been searching 
to solidify the running back position for a very long time, and they just haven't been able to do that. But I think Edward Solera definitely could be an answer for them there. So I really like his fit there. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next question. And this is one that is going to raise your eyebrows a little bit just because I know you might get a little bit emotional about this one. So at AM under Misfit ask, what's keeping wide receiver Tyler Johnson from the Senior Bowl? And is there oh, any additional thoughts oh, about his game or draft stock <laughs> that you want to add? So we're going to keep it PG rated just because we are very good friends uh, with the senior ball and we don't want to rub any feathers or anything like that. We know the players are added as far as, you know, how the NFL wants to see or they add the players that the NFL wants to see. And Tyler Johnson is one guy that has kind of been shocking as far as how the NFL feels about him. Really evaluations have been all over the place about him so we're hoping that he eventually gets a senior bowl invitation but if he doesn't we'll see him down at the shrine game and i think he's absolutely going to shred people down there so what do you think is the biggest thing that's keeping him from the senior bowl or why maybe nfl teams aren't as high on him as some of the people are on drive twitter so to answer the question about him not being at the senior bowl and some of these other guys right now i think it's just because when so when jim Nagy's staff brought in obviously jim Nagy's from the seattle background and whatnot um Big size is the clear indicator. I'm not saying Tyler Johnson's an undersized receiver or not, but you can see the trend with those senior bowl wide receivers. Jawan Jennings, Colin Johnson, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Brian Edwards. These are all guys that win with either their size or their physicality, mostly. Um, Jawan Jennings, especially with him at the, after the catch. Colin Johnson, Brian Edwards, and Gandy-Golden mostly at the catch point, separating in the air. Um, with Tyler Johnson, his strengths are more so what he does before the catch point. It, it, it's not necessarily his size. It's a little, I think he needs to add more muscle to his frame. I think that, that I think you know add more play strength. I think that's one of the big issues. I think why he's not the senior bowl to me. I think is that he, I think he just needs to get stronger. I think in terms of his physical profile, it's just not as appealing as many other receivers in this draft class. But when you look at his technique, man, I, I just don't know how he gets left out. I, I think just when you watch his tape, this guy has. I think the most clean and fluid release package of mostly any other receiver in this draft class, maybe other than Jerry Judy. I mean, this guy is just always getting a clean, effective release off the line of scrimmage. He's an excellent route runner at all levels of the field. Uh, I love his short area quickness. And I know drops have been a problem with him. And I think that, again, that, going back to the catch point and just that play strength, and you know, that, that could be a main reason why he's not there. Um, but I think when you look at everything he's done, you know, in terms of the wire superposition and the nuance he shows, the technique, he's just so much more advanced than a lot of these receivers in his draft class. And I get a lot of, like, those Terry McLaurin vibes, you know, the, the Tyler Boyd vibes, the guys who are just great route runners but just don't, like, people just don't value them that highly. I don't understand why. Uh, because, you know, there's, you know his skill set is just destined for production next level. So I just – I don't know why he's ranked so lowly among, you know, against professional – scouts um but that's just how it is i mean if you remember a couple of years ago Deshaun hamilton was was a east west shrine game guy a lot of people yeah. did, a lot of people don't understand why he was um not brought to the senior bowl and it's a similar kind of player for penn state big slot kind of player um you know but just a really good fluid mover good route runner and he played he played an excellent uh shrine game and got called up to the senior bowl and absolutely killed it i think he was one of the two best receivers at the senior bowl that week um, so it, it's it, it, to me, Tyler Johnson could do the same thing. Tyler Johnson is probably going to end up blowing the roof off the Shrine game in Tampa and go to Mobile and do the same thing. So 
there's a lot of Shrine game guys that get called up to the Senior Bowl, so I wouldn't say all hope is lost for Tyler Johnson because I'm a big fan of Tyler Johnson. Right. Um, but I, I, I'm still – I still think he's going to have a great NFL career. I, he's not going to be obviously like a number one guy, but I think he could be a, a starting slot for a team for a long time just because of how advanced he is. And he's going to get stronger when he gets to the NFL. When that becomes his main profession, he's going to dedicate himself to the strength. This guy's a dedicated player. And I, I, I just don't like any calls questioning his character or nothing like that. I, I, I don't, I've seen that out there. I, I don't like that. But, um, but it, the Tyler Johnson thing, it's a mystery to me. But I think when you look at the trends of the, who's getting brought to the Senior Bowl and what we've seen in years past, I mean, you, you could kind of see the writing on the wall. But like, like Deshaun Hamilton, I think – Tyler Johnson can make some noise at the Shrine game and get called up to Mobile. Definitely. And when we look back on the Shrine game, I think he is absolutely going to crush it down there just because if there's one thing he does well, that's separate. And you talk about his release package, I think it is outstanding. I think you're spot on as far as the release packages off the line of scrimmage. I think it's him, Jerry Judy, and CeeDee Lamb as the guys that have the best releases off the line of scrimmage. Now, the biggest thing that he needs to work on is just his catch consistency just because he, he does have some drops. And I think that's one of the big things why the NFL may not be as high on him as some of us may be in the draft Twitter community. But I think that's something you can improve upon. We've seen guys improve from catch uh, inconsistencies in years past. But I think that's one area that you can definitely improve upon. But if that's the one thing that's holding him back, I think I will be kind of disappointed. Uh, I don't want to say disappointed in them, but just disappointed in the entire evaluation process just because I think the the potential that he can show in these events, I think it could help him maybe be a second or even a third-round selection. Oh, I, think that's, I think that's a fair range for him. And I would be shocked if he doesn't go down and dominate at the Shrine game and if he doesn't eventually get a call up. And I think he definitely could make some noise down at the Senior Bowl as well. Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing with drops. And this is a... This is such an interesting and fascinating argument to talk about in the draft community. So I think so many people overvalue drops. And I think you, the one big question you have to ask yourself is, is this a systemic problem throughout, throughout his tape, throughout his entire career, or is it just like a couple of focus drops? But Johnson, I don't think I've seen like consistent, just this has been a consistent problem on his tape. To me, I think he does have focus drops. I think it's to me, I think he tries to run the, with the ball too early before he tries to secure it. But I don't see this as a systemic thing on his tape. So as long as that's not the case, he shouldn't be just drastically undervalued because of his drops. So to me, drops, it gets a little overshadowed that his profile of how good he really is. I really hope, just as you mentioned, I really hope that this drops thing is not what, you know, no pun intended, drops him down the board. Definitely. We'll see exactly what happens with that situation. But I'm really fascinated to see, once again, what does happen and just how the NFL does evaluate him. So, of course, that's another fantastic Twitter Thursday. We're going to wrap it up right there. Um, once again, I want to thank you guys for all. I want to thank all of you guys for sending in your questions. And, of course, we're going to do this again every single week, every single Thursday. This is one of our favorite days of the week continue to send in your questions and of course like i always say every week if we did not get to your question we supremely apologize and we will do our best to eventually get to your question so don't get discouraged or anything like that we will continue to churn through all of these questions and of course we will have a couple shows dedicated strictly to answering these questions down the road uh, once the college game does slow down a little bit so 
Once again, we are the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tolls. Thank you guys for listening to another glorious Thursday episode.